Welcome to the Idle Book Club. This month we're discussing Evidence of Things Unseen by Marianne Wiggins. This is the Idle Book Club for December 2012. I'm Chris Remo. And I'm Sean Vanneman. Today we're reading Evidence of Things Unseen by Marianne Wiggins. And Sean chose the book this month. And uh, why did you choose it? Uh, I chose this book because I actually um, was like really fortunate enough to uh, have a class with the author when I was in college. And um, at that same time, I read her book, John Dollar, which is a tremendous book. Came out probably almost 10 years before this one, maybe 15 even. I don't know. Don't hold me to that. But um, it's a book. Uh, it takes place on a series of islands. Uh, it's a period piece. I think it's set in the 1800s. Wow, it's been a while since I read this book. Who knows? <laughs> it's a book about That's an okay. island. But the thing that was so striking is... Um, so the book that we read this month, Evidence of Things Unseen, is sort of has a lyrical re- realist prose to it. And... I, that is, if you told me that on the street, I'd say like, I'm going to keep your book. I don't want to read that book. Um, it might, it's, all, it's almost, also in, almost sort of, impenetrable, but it's also a very standard mode of writing. I think right now for contemporary literature, right. but we haven't read very much in that vein so far on the, right. on the auto book club. And I think at that time in school, I was, uh, afraid, but it was so accessible. And also I'm just fascinated by the way she writes men. That's hmm. fascinating to That's me. That's interesting. Um, John Dollar is a man in the book. Sure. And it was just, you ever meet those people who just have like a prescient sense of other people or like who you are Yeah, and interacting with them in this very natural way, you learn more about yourself, but not because they're deconstructing you, but because absolutely you bounce off them in a funny way. It's yeah. almost like a reflective mirror. And I well, feel like she's think like that with men. I think that's the role. I mean, I think that's one of the ultimate goals of literature, right? I mean, I think that's often the sign, not, not in every case, but I think that's often the sign of a really great author. Right. And I when mean, they're not, able to yeah. provoke that, that self-reflection. And not to like bag on a book that, that we read last month, but I didn't have that same feeling with Telegraph Avenue. No. I didn't, ha- you know, I didn't know. But I still really felt, enjoy, yeah. so Telegraph Avenue. I mean, to connect it to some of the kind of weird, uh, you know, I think limited in their validity, but some of the Tarantino comparisons, I think Telegraph Avenue operates much more in that popular culture, self-aware mode. Right. Um, whereas this, this kind of novel, this more kind of, I guess, lyrical realist, I don't entirely even know the definition of lyrical realism, to be honest, but based on the kind of books that people often use, uh, you know, describe with that term, I get the sense, uh, to me, those works tend to be much more earnest and much more mm-hmm. interested in genuine um, depiction of right. uh, an, inner, an inner dialogue. Yeah. Um, and often also, I mean, this sort this book certainly, I think, is more self-consciously about you know, the metaphysical and the, uh, the kind of right, well, the grappling with the, exactly yeah. grappling with the questions kind of thing, which is, right. you know, often a name of literature. Right. And, um, I think, uh, in that respect, to some degree, it shares something in common with the first book we read, uh, the Julian, the Barnes. Right. Um, yeah, it feels very different to me than the Barnes. But oh, I hear what you're yeah, saying. The, it's the, in the, the mode in of the, writing and, is but, entirely different. Right, right, right. But, but uh, but it's it, got that intense interiority that I that yeah that's I mean it's they, they they the two authors approach approach it in different ways but I think a lot of the books we've read in between are very different in that respect you know I mean right. um, uh, Telegraph Avenue Cloud Atlas those are very stylized uh, yeah very very kind of self consciously stylized books mm-hmm. whereas this everything I feel like um, even so just to bring up one example for me. Um, I, I always find it interesting when authors choose to represent dialogue in non-standard ways or to right. demarcate dialogue in non-standard ways. So you, some authors use, you know, a single quote rather than a double quote. And in the case of Wiggins, um, she uses no quote marks. Right. Um, and I, I often like when an author does that because it kind of, I feel it, it's a minor stylistic variation that has significant, um, uh, it, it, it ripples out, I think, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways on the 
on the most direct level, it causes you to simply pay more attention mm-hmm. to to what's being said because it's never 100% entirely clear at a quick glance when someone's statement ends and when it simply bleeds into the rest of the paragraph. And so on the one hand, it kind of encourages just detailed reading. Right. Um, but on the other hand, it also encourages her the character voice distinction, which exactly. is tremendous. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. fantastic, yeah. And there's also a more... Um, there's a much harder harder to articulate quality, at least harder to articulate for me, um, uh, quality that, that it lends the book, which is a certain synchronicity with the muted quality of the setting and the characters and the time period and so on. I mean, this takes this book takes place. We um, we should say what this book is about. <laughs> yeah. um, this book takes place. Almost entirely, well, mostly between World Wars One and Two. Although there is material that also takes place during World War One and and during World War Two. Yeah, and, post- and World War um, II. there's a uh, a man Foster who returns. He he was in World War One in a chemical unit, and he returns uh, from Europe, comes back to uh, Tennessee, and uh, meets by coincidence uh, this woman Opal who he almost immediately proposes to it's you get it's clearly their first time either of them have been involved in a right serious but, relationship where they felt they were in part of something bigger than themselves but and it feels almost like preternatural it have, the, yeah. yeah and much of this book has that sense to it right and part of that that uh and so the book is about largely their relationship and them their place in the world and where they choose to settle themselves and then it it as world war ii uh, enters the equation. Um, Foz, Foz is, uh, Foster goes by Foz um, mm-hmm. almost entirely. Uh, he's called upon by the government for uh, to take advantage of his various skills uh, as what he calls a phenomenologist. A phenomenologist. Yeah, I'm probably putting an extra syllable in there. <laughs> but, an, uh, you, you introduced an extra on. I think I, think but, I did. Yeah, but uh, uh, which. I think as Greg Brown pointed out, the, that term is, is very sort of grossly misused in this book, which, uh, is true, but that's okay. Um, he knows how things like x-rays work and, uh, various bioluminescent, you know, materials and things like that. And he ends up, he and Opal for Opal for her bookkeeping skills and, and Foz for his, uh, various chemical knowledge end up, uh, Involved in a, they end up living on and working in a military installation, a secret military installation, uh, contributing to the effort to build the atomic bomb. Um, and so when the book ends, World War II is just concluded. And one of the the things with that that I find really interesting about that setting is that they spend most of their time in rural Tennessee or uh, urban Tennessee, but a an an urban environment in a time when America was starting to shift in this interwar period. There, there was the foreshadowing to a time when after cities had risen to prominence in the early part of the 20th century in the post-war period, you get the, the rise of suburbia. Right. And I feel like much of that oncoming development in American society is looming over this book. The sense that the true rural and the true urban are both sort of their identity is starting to be subsumed by this larger kind of genericized uh, suburban um, just fog that kind of right. descends over everything in the country. And they, the, to me that, that the way that that hung over everything, I really, this is a very windy way to get back to this, but it, it lent everything, this very muted quality that I mentioned. And I like the way that the lack of quote marks in the dialogue reinforces that, at least to me. It makes it feel like when characters say something, it's almost as if they have slightly less agency or slightly less – as if their voice is is slightly less able to penetrate. Right. Out it feels in, like deformalized and less sort exactly, of like, – Exactly, yeah. 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 Um, so I really I, like. You know, that's <laughs> that's a lot of things to say for uh, for – and I could be reading far far too closely into that. But um, it's it's that kind of little, little detail that, that – made this book hang together to me. You know, I mean, it's, it's the kind of book that I can imagine some would find overly, um, the, the sort of, uh, uh, predetermined 
sense of it that, that, oh, I think, yeah, that yeah. everything has, I think right. is probably the, the biggest criticism we saw from our readers uh, on the forums and so on, you know, the sense that everything kind of fits too mm-hmm. neatly into, into these relationships and this sort of uh, larger stepping stones. Right. And there's uh, sort of a last chapter that um, the two main, the, the protagonist Foss and the two protagonists, I guess, Foss and Opal pass away and leave their son mm-hmm. who knows nothing about how they really died and actually doesn't even know, he doesn't realize that he's a foster child. He's their foster child. Right. Um, or that he's their adopted. He's their adopted child, adopted I should say. Child. Yeah. So he has a sort of, uh, doesn't really understand where he came from, but there's a, the whole last chapter where he's uh, kind of searching for answers, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I really was surprised by <laughs> Like, I did I not expect too. it. And it was, then I loved it. I like, did too. But it, it folds in on, like remarkable coincidence to the point of oh absolutely of yeah predetermined yeah. like uh yeah just uh almost a, almost almost deterministic in deterministic the sense, in the sense yeah. that this is this is the way things are or at least this is the right. way things are within this particular lineage you know i mean this the is type just, of people he meets to the actual people he meets mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh i mean it was yeah. so it was so i so, didn't mind it yeah so yeah so what do you yeah. think about that i mean it's so over the top that it's clear Wiggins was was not aiming for subtlety at all. There. No, I mean, she but was, she had me. It's like one of those things. Yeah. Like you have me. It's so like, why do you think you it know? Works? It's like the end of Rudy or something. It's like <laughs> yeah, like whatever. I sure. know this is on. Its, sure. I know sure. on face value this is ridiculous. But this I mean, is like, different than Rudy, right? Though because it's of a, course. It's, but I was I loved Foss and I yeah. loved Opal and yeah. I loved them yeah. together and I loved their their son's uh, nickname is he's Lightfoot. Lightfoot. Yeah. It's Ray Foster Junior. is his real name, yeah. which is his dad's name, and. uh I adored Lightfoot as a kid and I mm-hmm. loved him as a boy trying to get, through. so once his parents die, he's nine, his parents die, his mom, uh, so before in the, I mean, you guys read the book, so if you didn't go do it, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's a really great so one. his parents, his mom dies of cancer, uh, and his dad commits suicide with her essentially yeah. sort of like it's really foggy about how exactly that happens, but I, my, he sort my, of just goes my, with her. My reading of that was that they was that he was sick too, but I feel like he, no, no, I know it was, but I think was she, yeah. I don't think she died a completely natural death. I think no, they no, I agree. prompted yeah, yeah. her along that night. Yeah. yeah. Which, and I have to honestly, you know, if I, that to, was weird though, right? Yeah. If I had to pick one moment where I don't, where I don't know if I bought, okay. So, you know, you make the point as, as sort of contrived as that last section was in the events that occur, you're totally with Wiggins on it. And I'm, I agree mm-hmm. with you. I totally was as well. All of the sort of epilogue, with Lightfoot trekking yeah. across the country with with Flash, their the his parents long lost really friend good friend of yeah. of, uh, of um, Foss who was put in jail for for statutory rape um, before Lightfoot was born um, or or before he was adopted anyway. Right. Um, that whole thing, I I agree with you. I was totally with I was totally with Wiggins on that. I I don't know. I still don't know if I buy the the suicide thing. Yeah, I don't. And I mean, it's suicide. So it's hard to really describe it as like a pure like Romeo and Juliet style suicide. No, there's so so sick. Frame this a bit. I know people probably read the book, but just to frame this a bit, they're they're living on um, the military base. This base, and it come the Foz learns that Opal has cancer and. The authorities on the base believe it's a result of the radiation um, from having the materials used in the construction of the bomb in close proximity. So right. they're trying to figure out where the radiation is. They're sending like Geiger gets. counter guys yeah. over the base. Foss and, believes, yeah. and I, I think we as the readers are intended to think Foss is correct on this. Right. Um, Foss believes it is that he, in fact, is responsible for, for Opal's death due to his repeated and prolonged exposure of both of them to x-rays when he uh, kind of traipsed around um, as with his truck full of bioluminescent materials and x-rays and all these little, this sort of little traveling side. Yeah. They would go to like carnivals and things like this and fairs and show people uh, their their x-ray machine. And I think, I mean, I think we're as readers intended to believe, yes, it is. And Foz was in fact the reason that this happened. And it was totally, I was, I, I was initially skeptical of that whole set of coincidences. Oh, of his oh, hypothesis? Right mm. here on the eve of the conclusion of World War II, this is when Opal, you know, as as the, the atomic bomb is dropped 
on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And as this war is coming to a conclusion and as their, as their coworkers and, and friends and neighbors on the base are all celebrating, this is the moment where, when Opal dies and nobody can figure out what it is. Mm. And I, and it's, and I, at the time I was a little bit, I was a little bit, um, you know, it was a little iffy on that. And then I realized it was entirely appropriate that of all the times in history at which somebody would be most likely to to contract cancer from radiation from from exposure to radioactive materials or x-rays or what have you and also the time at which people would be would be least sure about specifically why Mm-hmm. That it's basically this moment, right? right? It's when it's when these these energies were first becoming fully harnessed, right? But yet, but the the ramifications of that not yet fully understood. And so right. I actually that after Which I, I think she outlines really wonderfully. No, I think she does too. And after I right. kind of put that through my mind a bit, I told I I I thought that was a really ultimately beautiful thing. But it was the conscious choice on those characters' parts mm-hmm. to 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 die, knowing that they would be leaving Lightfoot, even though. They, they, even though Foss at least was aware that Lightfoot was going to be taken from them. Right. Um, I, I just, See, and didn't, that's the th- I didn't that's buy that. Of, but I, I didn't... think that I, I, that it, whether you buy that or not, I think is definitely like not buying that. I think is a valid yeah. opinion. Sure. But I do the entire, uh, nature of their suicide and we just yeah. have to call it a suicide even yeah, though it is. Yeah. I think, uh, the fulcrum of that decision being buyable is that Lightfoot is being taken away from them? Of course, regardless. Of course, uh, and that was tragic of too because had you know had Foz not said anything about Lightfoot's origin or, or was it Opal? I can't remember. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that was essentially the the sort of seeds of that whole right. development. I mean, it was right. It, it, yeah, when the major comes to their house and says we need to talk, and Opal has this sort of just blurts fear out fear that people yeah. are going to find out that he's not their biological son. Yeah. That, he came to them uh, as right. basically a found child, and he sits there in silence. And Opal just goes, "These are found ch- child. Please don't take it from us." Okay, yeah. that's not why I'm here. Yeah, you know, because everybody on the base has to do blood tests. So her cancer was found, yeah, uh, quickly. Yeah, as and and Foss is also experiencing exhibiting. He has like a blood cell count that's exhibiting. Um, yeah, he seems to exposure. Be, he seems to have kind of less radiation, less intense symptoms, but similar right. ones, which to, tracks to, with the x-ray thing where he no, was running makes, the x-ray and she sense. was the subject. Yeah, yeah. You know, it does. Uh, oh gosh. What was I about to say? Um, Oh, one thing that, I mean, I just, I don't know if this is, this is more like, like a, a tidbit, mm-hmm. I guess, but I know the book is like tremendously well-researched, which I thought was wonderful. I agree. I loved that about it. And uh, I just know for a fact, like she, uh, it was uh, like Marianne took a class, uh, just one period one day and said, look, if you guys want to talk about evidence of things unseen, I'll just tell you a little bit about my process. It was more as a class of process, but this was a seminar where everybody was uh-huh, writing fiction. Sure. So this is very rare. And, uh, she brought in her notebooks and there was like one stack that was her research and one stack that was the novel written in longhand, which <laughs> oh, is amazing. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just be there with her. And she's like, anyway, let's just flip through here. And she's just reading passages. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Like in beautiful handwriting, you know, that is right. now a dead, a dying art. Oh, yeah, well, of course. Yeah. As you sit there with your iPad, with your attached Don't keyboard. Even, let's, not, <laughs> let's not, let's not shame ourselves here. But, uh, yeah. So it's to see the, the, you know, the months, if not years of research that go into the book and then have that come back. The thing that I liked is it came back to the reader, at least to me, in a really like it paid like in very like clear, obvious ways, the in emotional ways. Like it was emotional evidence of the research that was done. So like the space of time, the bomb that gets dropped on Hiroshima, mm-hmm. it just destroys Foss. Oh, absolutely. It just and I ruins love that. him the, as a the, man of science that it yeah. would be used this way and knows he's able way more even than opal to sort of perceive how bad yeah that explosion was well in the way that each of one of the things that was so wonderful about both Foz and opal was the way that their own particular experience and skills and and background forms their worldview in a way that just permeates everything but doesn't make them ever at odds right you know i mean right, that was right. just incredible they're so different they're like they that's such a, a different base of knowledge but like they respect and they come each to fundamentally other different of, right yeah there are little moments throughout the book where one character one of them will say will have some comment and then it will be revealed that to the other character this is sort of confirmation 
of something that they've assumed about the other. Right. For, oh, this is because he's a scientist and he just thinks. <laughs> but it's it's never in it's never nasty. It's always no, in a no, loving no. way. They're but always. I, equals, but I love yeah. that. I love that Wiggins portrays them both as people with very with very very strong worldviews, even if they don't always necessarily express them strongly outwardly. And to me, that's one of the things that's great about literature. And what's really nice about that's one of the things that's great about being able to to write a book that delves into the interiority of a woman living in the 1940s, for example, a situation where she wouldn't have all of all that much kind of outwardly manifest power relative to what she might today. But right. in the context of this novel, her worldview and her perspective can be expressed as strong, as strongly as, as anyone that's what's else. Wonderful, so, right? and, I mean, I mean that's, that's an obvious point to make, right. but it's just that Wiggins, I think did it so well without being over sympathetic to either character. I mean, she's mm-hmm. all, she's, she's immensely, um, uh, generous in her characters. I think all of her characters, including flash, you know, this, Even this man who was sent to prison and, well, not flash, but also like the major uh, no, ends up coming across as a, yeah. as a yeah, real She's person. incredibly generous, but she's also not, um, blindly uh idealistic no. right i mean there are things there are opinions that that opal has about the way the world works that that now just anyone who's gone through kind of basic schooling understands or is just a misconception about the way things work or just an incorrect assumption that she made but it's never but it's it it's never to put that character or any other character in this in a in a position of being dumb or or right, having some right. or being it's 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 purely only ever a function of their particular experience their particular uh, uh context for right. the world and i like when opal's naive it doesn't lower her exactly care she doesn't somehow go down notches on the power structure right you know or I, like i don't even power structure is not what you would call it but, but just, just sort of she, the cachet she has exactly, amongst other with, characters in the novel. right and with the reader for that matter right and i to me the ability to do to Present people fully, including their, uh, you know, those those less than than you know ideal uh, aspects mm-hmm. is is I can imagine that's got to be a tough balancing act. I mean, right? Uh, I well, can't. Just her I can't. Empath- like you can just hurt. Like it's just the novels is like dripping with empathy. Like the yeah, novel, absolutely. she just she loves every character the same or the same amount. Mm-hmm. And I think she loves them because I don't know. It's just it's really wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> it's really nice. There's also but something. Oh, just to get back because sure, I wanted to make sure. a point yeah, about the research kind of really mattering to the reader. Oh, right. Yeah. So you don't really think about Hiroshima. I mean, you do because you went to school in like in the sixth grade or fifth grade or fourth grade when you you know you know Hiroshima, passage of time, mm-hmm. Nagasaki. Yeah. But in the book, I felt it for the first time in a, at 28, like in a way that I never had before sure. because of the way the the way that Foss experiences the two events differently. Yeah. The sort of the, the, the profound tragedy of Hiroshima and then sort of the anger and just rejection of Nagasaki. Oh, sure. Which of, co- which of course is sad, strongly linked you know, to the incredible heightening of emotion he's having because of what Opal's going through. Right. Right. I mean, that's inextricable from his reaction right. to the bomb itself. Right. You know, so it's, it's not a, it's not a, um, a historical event brought up for its own, purely for its own sake, or just to make a specific point about that historical or to event. like frame the story it's, or ground the story in a certain era or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you can read a lot of, um, Foz's reaction, uh, to that as sort of this, two multiplicative events acting on one another, right. you know, that are, and, and that are intensifying each other mm-hmm. to, um, to add another point to your, to the research uh, topic. One of the things I loved most about this book was the framing, you know, and sort of the midsection of the book within the context of the Tennessee Valley authority, mm-hmm. which was something that I was not very familiar with until this point, until, until I read this. And so, right most of what i know about about that period and that develop that government development is now from this book and right. um and i think it would be very easy to write about that and have a very strong perspective on it you know either um i i could imagine 
I can imagine a liberal or conservative agenda being very easily trotted out in the context of that. Right. Well, it's a very loaded, they, like, I mean, exactly. eminent domain. And yeah. It's the kind of thing that big, you could, yeah. you could very easily overload with allusions to modern context in a way that I right. think would be really insulting to the actual era. And th- there's, there's a passage from, on the hard, on the hardbound edition from pages 246 to 259. So it's about, it's about, you know, 13 or 14 pages. And during that time, Wiggins introduces the concept of the Tennessee Valley Authority. She shows Foz becoming becoming an employee of it. She introduces the conflict between the sort of uh, almost genteel but simultaneously very forceful progress that it brings with it, which is something I liked a lot, was the notion of this – of kind of forced government progress that that was – asserted itself, right? Mm -hmm. Like nothing was going to stop it, but, but it, it has, it almost feels like it was a steamroller that was encased in felt. Right. A steamroller that's bringing presence. It's like towing presence behind it. Yeah. yeah. Towing presence behind it, but still crushing your house in front of it. Oh, exactly. Exactly. I I really enjoyed that. I mean, I I think she portrayed. For bringing you electricity, you'll have no house to put it in. Exactly. But think of the future. And then on, on, and then on top of that, she painted incredibly beautiful pictures of the actual progress that resulted from it, you know, these right. incredible human achievements that, you know, I mean, just these un, unseen previously uh, works of engineering and, and accomplishment and, and science. And then uh, and then shows, I thought, in a in an incredibly small number of pages, um, a very convincing range of reactions from the local population. Right. Um, and even between Foss and Opal. Yeah, absolutely. And well, and then it ends. I mean, that whole, so that whole passage of, of 13 or 14 pages, this is one of the things that I think she does repeatedly throughout the book, and it blew me away every time. Um, she starts with essentially a brief historical survey, which then winds through an emotional arc and ends up with the specificity of how that arc I- intersects with the protagonist's lives. Right. And that, that was something that I thought was, was, just masterful. I thought it was incredible. And there are moments throughout the book that are, that are like that. I mean, they're on a less grandiose scale. I mean, I think that the reason I bring that one up is because to me, it felt like the, the grandest one, you know, I mean, the one that, that covered the, the biggest arc, but there were, there were moments like that throughout. I mean, there were moments where a character would be either a character or just the kind of the, the voice of the novel, right? Like just the sort of metaphysical ruminations that sometimes exist outside of the context of a character's specific interior life would be happening. And then suddenly one of those thoughts would become the present tense right. character I was moment. just going to ask you about that, yeah. about how you felt yeah, about I that. I loved it. I yeah. Lo- and just I, in I the same it. paragraph. Exactly. It'll jump months yeah. into sort of this ruminate. This goes right. in this rumination I remember to like... Flash saying there for like so yeah, yeah. oh gosh there was a I I, I don't have I was going to ask you specifically what you thought about that exact um, I adored it I so I'm yeah. a sucker I'm I'm a sucker for um kind of lyrical poetic writing with kind of rever- textual reverberation and things like that I mean I you know I I will I have more even though I wasn't as crazy about that that about Telegraph Avenue as this book, for example, you know, I have a high tolerance for authors kind of just going for it um, right. uh, with, with prose. Um, so when, when they pull it off as well as Wiggins did here and, and don't make me have all the qualifying oh, statements, me. I know. it's just, and it's, also it's so, it's not flashy. It's really well, hard to find the, a word in that's there. That's part that of that subdued that tone you don't understand. I, it's really hard to find a word in there. That no, you, although you, you know, you know what you do get occasionally, which I loved um, on, uh, it's funny you bring that up, uh, on page 115, uh, again, this is in the hardbound edition, um, when, uh, Earl Jr., they, uh, the, the young nephew, I suppose, yeah. um, uh, is killed at the fair. He, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was just so which is sort of the first thing that happens in the book that just punches you in the face. Yeah. A kid just bites a, well, a, a that and the, the way that it happened, which was so, which was so there it just happened and then it was it and then the chapter was over yeah and then i mean it was really it, it was, reverberates within the characters yeah but and the reason i the reason i bring this up is because there's there's this paragraph that just it was a specific word choice that mm-hmm. i thought was really was really affecting so uh here well so part of it was the entire this entire passage is preceded by this, this, this notion of the infinite choices 
that branch out, you know, of every moment right. in life and then how they converge as the moment actually occurs. And at this point, you know, there was only one chance left out of all of his chances at play that moment, only one which would be irreversible. Now, what's he got hold of? Carol was asking as early looked at the black plastic knob on the end of the cable. Still, there were infinite chances at play until early chose the only one that was finite. He put the plug end of the electric cable in his mouth to teeth on. It took three-tenths of a second for the thousand volts in the electrical cable to hit Early's heart through his gums, astonishing it with a power so so strong it lit him up like a light bulb, his whole little body excited as atoms in wire as the charged force sent him flying, shocked, 17 feet high in the air. And uh, the, reason I, the reason I read this passage is because of the use of the word astonished. Mm-hmm. The notion that, that the, the electrical pulse astonished him. And when I, when I, when I try to envision that specifically the fact that she used that word makes me think of that scene in a more in a much more detailed um kind of critical way than i think i would have if she had used a word that is that is more literally right like you know it's like yeah it, it walloped or like yeah, yeah exactly it, it surged it, sure, yeah, yeah yeah exactly I, it was the notion of astonished it it, cre- it that word evokes a sense of wonder and there's something very and surprise, wonder yeah. and surprise. Yeah. And there's something that's almost, that's almost perverse. I think about, about coupling those, those lifelong associations we have with that word with this incredibly morbid scene. And I found it fascinating. Well, I mean, I, it's I, sort of the, the damage of this wonderful technology. Sure. That's true. This also, is like the yeah. first time it happens. Yeah. You know, yeah. even though it's kind of been happening within this is the fucking thing too. It's been happening inside of Opal this in, like this entire time. Sure. Like yeah. And they talk about being able to see the bones in her hand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh. Yeah. It's. I it's don't a- know. Like I, I, I think about this book, and it so much of it is just pitch perfect. Mm-hmm. Just I, the I not even just the language, but the the selections of milieu like. This is where this this is the setting, or this is the mm-hmm. this is uh, the object somebody's uh, holding in their hand, and it feels like if you try to sit down and map it all out and calculate it all out, it would feel impossible. And it's almost like the book is both is written through both like equal measures of planning and gut yeah. in a way that I find truly, truly impressive. Yeah. Although- and it pisses me off that like I sat in her class for a semester and hadn't read the and never read the book. <laughs> right. You know, I really love John Dollar. Yeah. I really, I really, really, really did. Um, she actually gave me my copy of it, which is cool. But, um, you know, it's just sort of one of those things where it's like, Oh, what a dumb 19 year old I was sure, yeah. <laughs> or 20 year old or yeah, however yeah, old I was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, so, uh, the book, is frame like how did you feel about the use of Moby Dick all the way through? I you know honestly I wish I had more of an opinion about it. Yeah, I have you read Moby Dick? I I've read it like half of it years ago. Right, I'm one of those just ho- horrible people. Yeah, and then we are we are too. Oh yeah, I'm gonna read Moby Dick and then I get halfway through. Right, then, right. You know. Want to see something worse? You, readers can't see this. I'm currently wearing a Moby Dick. Oh, you're wearing the what is that penguin or what is that edition? The uh, I don't know. They're republishing all of the classics uh, with that Rockwell Kent at the bottom of it. Yeah. Anyway, you're wearing. Yeah, I'm Sean wearing. Sean is wearing a Moby Dick the shirt. Classic right Moby, now. like yeah, yeah. And uh, that was actually uh, coincidental. I didn't really realize <laughs> I it. Hope so. So, yeah. Uh, I was like, oh, oh man, Shut we're going to totally talk about Moby this Dick shirt. <laughs> yeah. Chris is going to think it's so cool. <laughs> Uh, so, so I don't know how I feel about yeah, it. Yeah, I wanted to see what you thought about it. I, so, to to kind of piggyback on what you're what you're saying just a moment ago, I think one of the criticisms one could levy at this book, and it wasn't it wasn't one that honestly bothered me, is that you know there there are times when it feels it's a bit too clockwork, and yeah. I think that is accentuated by labeling each chapter with a piece of sort of one of the great American novels as, as if I, there is a key as if each of those quotations is a key to unlock some further additional right right mechanism right in in, in, in each of these and chapters. I don't think so the I, book particularly requires it no nor I and I you know I think and I wonder about it I wonder about it as a choice I I wonder I wonder if it's homage, if it's, 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wonder. I really wonder about it because the book stands so firmly yeah. on its own, right? Without this sort of reference to the text, and I don't mind that the characters talk about the book. No, I actually like. I I was initially for for the the in, initial moment after reading it put off when when Lightfoot had his very self conscious identification with with Moby Dick and right. sort of understanding of why he why this book is in his possession. Um, but, he says something like, uh, "I don't like." Ahab or Ishmael, but I, but I, I could, could be him, that, right? I could be him, yeah. and then as soon as I, as soon as I had that initial negative evaluation, I immediately reevaluated and liked it a lot, right? And it actually makes me further um, not as crazy about the quotations in the book because I feel that that incorporate waiting until that moment I think was valid because I, because one of the things I love about that moment of realization of Lightfoot is that I don't think, I don't think there was. You know, I, I don't think he he does have the book because of those reasons. Right. You know, I don't think he he kind of comes to the conclusion. Oh, this is why they left this book for me. And I don't think that's the case. I think that that what he's doing is doing is is coming to the realization of what great literature can do, which is make you make you feel as if oh, this was entirely this was intended right. for me. I mean, this this well, is. Well, exa- you want to go to the? Are you segging into a wonderful post on the Idle forums? I didn't mean to interrupt, but I felt is that what you're about to do? The one on the last page. I just don't want you to not do it. I wasn't, but I can. Um, the guy who said he, d- he didn't read a ton of... Uh... Oh, no, I wasn't going to read that. Oh, well, just... I mean, we can reference it, I think, though. But just he talks about this nodding his head while reading the book. Yeah. And just that it sort of gets to what you were saying about great fiction. I don't know. Yeah. No, for we sure. Don't, yeah, we don't and I, the, and the I liked, exactly. Yeah, and I liked that... Um, I, I liked that Lightfoot had his own almost revisionist or, 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 or speculative um, reason where, that he convinced himself... Into mm-hmm. oh, this, they must have met me to to come to this. Well, I think and, and of course that wasn't the yeah. case. But but I love I love that he that Wiggins portrayed him as having that revelation, right? You know, because I think that's I think that's something that anyone who's really connected with a book can 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 identify with. And I don't think that I don't think that was too heavy handed. But it it made me more conscious of the the much more constructed inclusion right. of the quotes in there. Yeah, I thought the quote, and I, I feel the same way. I, I feel like the quotations are actually. I don't. I don't think they help, but it's because uh, we haven't read Moby Dick. <laughs> some, we're just, what is great is on the forums. It felt like swine. So uh, obviously, we talk about them every month. But uh, Idle Forums, uh, IdleThumbs.net. Uh, there's a book sec- The the book podcast has its own section in there, and it seems, it seems like so many people were like, "Oh, I have to read Moby Dick now." Yeah, I yeah. did see that a lot. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was, yeah, there was a, um, so we liked this book. I think that's an appropriate, we never said, we never did it at the beginning. I was like, did you like the book? It's like, I think, yeah. Yeah. We forgot to say that. <laughs> yeah, but, I think uh, we like this book. I do actually yeah. just because we're talking about the forums, I do want to read this one post by, by wink nugget on the forum, which I just thought was a good, we don't usually do this. Just read a post wholesale, but, um, I enjoyed it. So would right. you mind if I, no, no, I like this. I loved it. I thought yeah. it was really, really so he, sa- he says, this book is beautiful. It's beautifully written and the high points fill your heart with hope and joy, uh, glory, which made the low point. With hope and joy, glory, which made the low point so much more of a punch in the gut. I love the poetic musings that move tangentially from the main plot for a moment, just to let you bask in the inherent splendor of minutia. I'm not ashamed to admit that I cried on the last two pages of the fishing chapter either. Any author that can involve you emotionally in their characters to that degree deserves to be commended. That said, it's not a particularly clever plot, or, or, or it's too clever to be believable. There is some super obvious foreshadowing with Foz's radiation death trap carnival sideshow. I thought we'd at least find out he sterilized Opal and that was the reason they can't have a baby, but giving her leukemia was equally foreseeable. The final chapter really shoehorns too many references to early moments that we probably could have done without. I didn't need Mr. Scrimshaw to show up or for Ramona to be painting in phosphorescent fish hearts at the moment Lightheart meets her. Flash's character is compelling is compelling to listen to because he is the great philosopher and the poet of the novel, but what he ends up being is a bit of a soapbox for profundity that feels a bit forced. The setting of the book is almost a cheat for creating gravity. Spanning two world wars, the Great Depression, Prohibition, the creation of the atomic bomb, this is one of the most densely packed eras of culturally defining moments in American history. What stands out among these huge moments in the book are the small moments. And the thing is, I don't mind any of this. I was willing to suspend my disbelief (laughs) when necessary because this is a really great read. I let myself be inundated with the beauty of the language and imagery and happily let the rest go, happily let my heart be broken. And I I thought that was a really great Mm -hmm. way because the the overly constructed nature of the novel is something that I could imagine myself being bothered by a whole lot more in the hands of another author. Or even just theoretically, if somebody 
to sure. To, yeah. You know, exactly. On, on paper. You're like, oh, really? Yeah. And I think there's something, I think there's something nice about being able to just get swept up in the beauty of a thing. Yeah. Um, I, and I, and, and I did in this case. So, oh, I, man. so yeah. I, uh, I definitely I I, liked it. I definitely sat in a coffee shop here in San Francisco and like had a like I shit like a, this is silent like old man tear. Right. Well, the number of people on our forums who said <laughs> yeah. the first thing they did after finishing this was go to their partner and say they loved them was, you know, was a, yeah. nice, a nice thing. Yeah, because it wasn't. It, I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a. Um, kind of hokey tearjerk. No, and you it's know, not it's like a prescriptive love story either. No. Where it's you know where yeah. It was kind of what, a, you know what it was about? It was about the mundanities of love. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. about the, it wasn't about the sweeping part of romance. It was about the, the, the little things, you know, the moments that, that we were talking about earlier where they, where the, you know, my suspicions are confirmed about your suspicious belief, you know, but mm-hmm. the, the, I mean, I'm overstating it there, but, but the, the, the way that, that two people can learn to, or not even have to learn, but mm-hmm. can, but can, can just, accept those things as part of the larger fabric of, 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 uh, kind of emotional connection. I thought it was just, I thought it was really wonderful and I loved how low key those yeah. things were and how much the Foz and, and Opal, um, just coexisted, right. Rather than we're constantly wrapped up in a sort of typical, you know, romantic, um, kind of fiction with these hard but, turns and yeah, these big sort of very, things that happen. There was something very, um, the mon- it's interesting the mundanity of their own of the kind of and mundanity containing- is a hard word though i kind of take i kind of like um, okay but it's not, excuse, sorry okay, I, the, 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 i'm getting hung the, up on the mundanity. relative unremarkability of the ac- no <laughs> yeah. you're not letting me finish sorry. that sentence of the actual sort of plot elements of their relationship is what allowed the complexity of the relationship itself to be expressed in the, in the pro in the novel. I mean, mm-hmm. um, like the, the, that's the, that's the thing that I liked, right. Is that for the most part, I mean, obviously there, there were huge that, you know, they found this child that they adopted and their child died and they well, were relocated. The, 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 I mean, there were yeah. big, there were big things that happened in their life, but there, the, the way in which their relationship was this even keel throughout things don't like come to a point like a head and right. then explode and i, lo- and I of, love yeah. that i thought that, no, i, I like thought that, that was just really wonderful and really beautiful and the thing that the moment of it that I was just really struck by and i agree with you for what it's worth i'm only getting i, I yeah i'm getting a little hung up on, on language but sure sure um when they're sort of i mean he's family like uh flash is sort mm-hmm. of their mutual he's foss's war buddy and uh they all work in a photoshop together yeah and they are, he is family yeah. for what it's worth um when he is convicted of this crime and they are forced to move from knoxville out into the countryside and there's a sort of like dead quietness to their life and they talk in uh she uh, wiggins talks about them not speaking for days at a time but not because they're mad at each other but because they're kind of both equally heartbroken they're similarly right yeah and that section just wrecked me well and, and what I, I what i really loved with oh. um with Fla- i i thought flash was an amazing character and what i loved was after lightfoot sort of almost inadvertently established this relationship with flash it was revealed that foz never once communicated with Flash for the entire rest of either of, of their right. lives. Well, he says that whereas refrain, I, you think oh, you know a man. Yeah. I love that. Whereas Opal actually maintained regular mailed correspondence, which mm-hmm. I thought was fascinating. Right. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Opal was able to come to some measure of empathy for Flash and Foz was not. And I thought that was a really, to me, a very, very affecting very believable reaction of each of those characters you know for all of for all of the for all of his curiosity about the world foss is ultimately the more kind of emotionally naive or easily heartbreaking heartbroken one i mean that ties with this sort of his man of science sort of probably so yeah Uh, but he's but he's got this very you know going back to just his, his constantly watering eyes it's not he's not an emotionally inaccessible man of science no he's he's sort of he's he's one who has this 
this just impossibly idealistic worldview that that can very be easily be bruised. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I love the way they treated that. And I, I also loved the, how Flash was portrayed towards the end of the novel. I mean, I think the reader, at least in my reading of this, and I could be wrong and maybe, maybe other people don't feel this way, but it, the way that I felt he was being presented to the reader in the latter stages of his life was, was intended to be sympathetic. You know, I mean, I think, oh, I don't yeah, think yeah. you're supposed to think of Flash as, as genuinely a rapist. I mean, I think you're, I think, I think you're intended to have interpreted his relationship as a consensual one with this woman. And I could be wrong. I could yeah, be wrong about that. You know, I, don't I, know. I, 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 had, I was just thinking about that, you know, like, it, I don't know. I mean, it's hard for me to, I don't know about intent, but I was sympathetic to flash. Although I can remember exactly page by page, questioning my sympathy for flash yeah, oh, me and wondering too. no absolutely was his that's why i'm his so relationship with Lally. tentative on my like right. i think i think but right. i you know you know but and i think that's great that's no that's what course. you want that's, you want yeah. that's exactly it no, no, absolutely. you know like and that's you want to walk away from flash and not quite know how you feel about mm-hmm. him sort of absolutely. in between right. opal and because you Foss. don't you don't want his take because he has a very commanding worldview right i right. mean i love he, he's her. very seductive we were in love. You know? yeah. well that but not just that but the way that he, the 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 knowledge and worldview that he imparts onto lightfoot right. it's very it's very powerful mm-hmm. and i and i think without that doubt mm-hmm. as to his fundamental core it would be very easy to interpret that as sort of the final say mm-hmm. of the novel because he does you know he is his his approach to the world is essentially the one the one that gets the final word right. in the book. You know, and what I liked actually was that his relationship with Lally was completely off. It was. Like, I it mean, was the, off screen yeah. you until know, until Lightfoot. The entire book was from the perspective of 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 uh, Noble. So you see him, and I don't know. For me, I had always this this always this tension with Flash before that before uh, the event with Lally went down. Because he is so commanding and so uh, mm-hmm. charming, but also he's always he's never in a room where he's not got it and he's not controlling the the, the tone of the moment and uh, just like like you said in command. So you know it's kind of like like the gun on the mantle. Like how is that going to impact these characters that I love? How oh, is sure. he, you know? Yeah. And you just don't know how much he ensorcelled Lally and how much or how much oh, absolutely yeah. you know and I think that's that's true oh, that's so good that's I really really like that a lot I mm-hmm. really really because you want to believe there's a part of me that wants to believe that Flash is just a he's a he has that incredible commanding power but he's a good man yeah because that's what I want to believe no, but course. I don't know yeah, and I walk away from exactly. the book and I just yeah, gotta think no, about no, that that's and that's true. really it's, it's so yep. good yep. and I mean just to like go full circle her ability to just write him as a man like we always think about like we don't you know we, uh, we've read all male authors up until this point, and she writes men so inc- like incredibly well. Oh, absolutely, it's so yeah, she's incre- pretty remarkable. And ugh, it's just really, really, yeah, blew me away. But uh, yeah, it was a good book. You should read it if you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for, I mean, there's nothing, you know, it's funny. There's not even really much to spoil in this. It's funny. There's so no. much foreshadowed. You know, you, we, you, there are the passages where I love this. Sorry. I'm just going to read another passage. Why would I not? Let's end, let's end on another passage. Yeah. Well, I don't know if this is. All right. Here, here's a way to end. This is, so, <laughs> this is, so this is something that I really love that, um, another thing that this relates back to, to something we were talking about earlier, stylistically with, with, with Mary, with Wiggins. Um, the way that she will, she will have little fragments of, of metaphor and recollection, which will then merge into character's present thought or an actual, you know, we sort of touched on that a little bit earlier. And there's, um, there, there's, you know, Opal is so, so preoccupied until Lightfoot, uh, finds his way to them about being a mother and, you know, why are they incapable of bearing a child and what's mm-hmm. going on, you know? And she's, She's talking about her conception of, of motherhood and she's saying, for good or bad, she knew to call yourself a mother, the only thing you had to do was show up for the job and stay. Paragraph break. And some are saints and some are martyrs. Some are victims. Some are vanished. Some are walls. Some emit more light than they absorb, creating their own planetary systems. Some are sole survivors of the war against themselves. Some are slaves. And some are furies. 
Some are cold and some are tender. Few are blameless. All have names. Each must answer for her child's existence. What did she have to do, she wondered. Or more to the point, what was she doing wrong? She kept showing up. But biology, that sharpshooter, kept missing her. I love that. That sharpshooter <laughs> yeah. kept missing her. Oh, God. <laughs> Still, she kept wishing. For years, she'd taken future motherhood, her future and maternity for granted. Look around. All you see are mothers, women born to it, women who have children just as casually as breathing, women who have babies hanging off their hips like fruit. Oh, man. <laughs> the language is inc- it's just incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Every time the electric lights flickered in their house on Clinch Street back in Knoxville, Mrs. Rinaldi had cried out, Hey, ancora un bambino, another baby born. <laughs> Once it happened three times in an hour after supper. Once she counted 10 between the time she finished watching dishes and the time she went to bed. One week she counted the lights flickering 47 times. She was good at counting, couldn't help it. Some have other talents. Some have daughters. Some have sons. And I, the way that she's constantly throughout that weaving in between these, these very kind of vague uh, considerations and, uh, and th- this very specific memory. And then within the moment in her, in, in kind of the pre, you know, in, in right. the reality, uh, when she has this 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 just funny metaphor about oh, every time the lights flicker, a baby's born, right? right? And but then to to extend that further to to literally then interpreting it as forty seven babies born in an hour, right. I thought was so clever. And then sinking right back into there to some have other talents. Paragraph break. Some have daughters. Some have sons. I, I, I that whole this is about a page that I just read, and right. I I found that to be such a remarkable bit of writing switching between these various modes in a way that was not ponderous because there was so much levity right. built into it you know i mean it's it's a very kind of heavy topic uh but then she immediately has these just hilarious little observations right. and i man this woman knows how to put some words together if you like that page there's 381 <laughs> other ones that yep. will blow your mind yeah yeah Anyway, so that's um, Evidence of Things Unseen by Marianne Wiggins. Yeah, and thanks for listening. Uh, come talk to us on the Idle forums at idlebookclub.com or idlethumbs.net. Either of those will get you there. And uh, next week we're reading The Great Gatsby. Next month. Next I might read next it next week. week but, yeah, uh, you could read yeah. that book in a couple We're going to read The Great Gatsby, and we'll announce the other books in the forums, too, uh, after that. We'll try to, we try to keep a couple months ahead because yeah. we know it's sometimes So tough. if you go to the, the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash idlebookclub, or the website, which is idlebookclub.com, or the forums... Uh, which you can find there as well. Hopefully, at any of these places, we will we will be announcing the next book shortly. So yeah, or after the Great Gatsby. Yep. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Take care. That's it for this month. Join us again next time on the Idle Book Club when we will be discussing the Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs>